Welcome to another episode of the Personal Branding for Photographers podcast. My name is Maurice Jager and I'm a photographer, speaker and the author of the book Personal Branding for Photographers. This podcast is all about learning how to improve your personal brand as a photographer. Thank you for listening today and let's dive in. Welcome to this episode of the Personal Branding for Photographers podcast. And today we have Peter Hurley on the podcast. And this is a cool one and a special one because Peter is the reason that I actually um, like picked up the camera professionally. So this is uh, really cool. And um, thank you, Peter, for being on this podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Marie. Yeah. What do you got? What's everybody doing? It's cool to, I know you, I in- I know you fired up your professional business after jumping in on the crew and you know, that was totally cool. And you've been so awesome to help me build it over the past umpteen years. So it's been, it's been a long time now. Yeah. I I was looking the other day uh, in the email to see like the initial sign up confirmation email. I think it was like 2013 when I first like stumbled upon um, the Google plus talk that you did way back when, and that's when it all started. So it's like, we're seven years down the road and still going strong. So I guess this headshot thing is like actually something that is uh, a valuable uh, or a valuable avenue for people to pursue as a photographer. Actually, on August 2nd of 2013, you signed up for the headshot crew. You looked it up. Wow. Yeah, three days ago. Three days ago was seven years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So we have yeah. a little anniversary recording at this point. <laughs> there we go. Seven years later. Wow. So I've been putting up with them for seven years. People, can you imagine? Yeah, I don't envy you at this point. Like, I'm, <laughs> like I know it can be a pain. I I remember the portfolio reviews vividly. Well, you just like yeah. I I I looked at one of them. Like one of the I think the second one because the first one was over Skype when there was not like an audience listening into the reviews. And the second one was like, dude, your colors are so messed. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was funny. But like, yeah, you you help uh, a lot of headshot photographers like build their business and like really like learn how to take like an actual awesome headshot. But like you're sharing all this knowledge, like you came up with this. So where did it all start for you? Uh, I was an actor and, you know, I was acting and modeling and bartending and I just didn't want to be in the bar till four in the morning. So I decided to pick up a camera and I had done the headshot thing. Um, and I was actually, I started shooting models and then I, and then I was like, one of the models was like, I'm acting, I need some headshots. Can you do it? And I was like, well, I'll just move closer, look into the camera. And I shot the picture and I was like, wait a minute, the headshot market in New York is pretty serious. Maybe I can get on this gravy train. And that was it. And I was like, these headshots are charging a thousand bucks a session. And I was like, a thousand bucks, holy smokes. And I, I, back then I couldn't rub two nickels together. So I was like, let's do it. And, um, you know, and then it went, it went crazy. The thing that started to give me the worldwide presence was when the F-stoppers walked into my studio. So I was sitting here doing it in New York, you know, minding my own business. I didn't know anything about the teaching or the shows or I didn't know what WPBI was and never even heard of it. I, like any of that stuff. 
I did go to PPE every year and saw a little bit of that action, but I really was had blinders. I was just trying to make money. And then one time, one day somebody called and it just hit me. Then they said, can I, I need a headshot. And I was like, well, it's a thousand bucks. And they hung up and I was like, wait a minute, I can help this person. So I decided to do this thing called PH2, which was, I guess, Peter Hurley 2.0. You can shoot with me or you can shoot with the, the person that I trained who's cheaper. And that, and that started. And then my web designer and I had always spoken and we'd always been excited about like doing different projects. And he's like, well, why don't we make like a group where you coach them and then you give them jobs? And I was like, well, that's cool. So we started this thing called PH2 Pro. And in 2013, that's what you signed up for. And you took the headshot intensive online, I believe. Yeah. Uh, if I if I'm correct, the second rodeo and, of that one. Yeah, and then that was it. He never left. He didn't go anywhere. He became like he started to help me run the site. He I started this company called Hurley Pro, and he started importing my products into Europe, and you know, run it, helping me run workshops all over the place. He helped me uh, set up Photokina. He still has my background from Photokina in his possession. Yep. And still eating up a shit ton of space. <laughs> it's huge. I still yeah. resent you when I look at that thing. Like yeah. why did I ever got it? Like it's stuck here. <laughs> I know I got to How do I get that anywhere? I don't know what I to do with that. Oh, it's so freaking it couldn't have been a one shot deal. We, we thought we would be doing more of those. And then lo and behold, you know, we're not, you Yeah, know? And I mean, you weren't just not. And then this year, everything is getting canceled. So this year is like dead in the water too. Because I looked at the Photokina website and they're actually skipping 2020 So and 2021. So the next one is 2022. So it's wow. like, they're wow. like really pushing it. But yeah, I just think the whole climate's going to change and we're going to have to figure this new world out when we get out of here. But um, in terms of that, how important is your personal brand now? I mean, now it's a totally, it's like, you can't even, you know, I can't, I built all of headshot crew on at these photo shows where people would, I talk to them, I tell them what the crew was all about and why I would benefit them and them getting in and everything. And I can't do that anymore. So now my, my branding and how I'm, how I look and I appear online is enormous. So for you to have you out there helping people in this realm, I think is huge, especially one of the, one of the main places that I know you work a lot in is, is the LinkedIn space, which I'm clueless. Like I'm clueless of that. And I think photographers need help with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. That, that's why I came up with that course a year ago and it's still going strong. Like there's a lot of people jumping on the LinkedIn bandwagon and figuring all that stuff out. But when you, when you started as a headshot photographer, like, like in New York, you can pretty much like throw a rock and you'll hit three headshot photographers and you still manage to become the most successful headshot photographer in New York City and probably the world. Like, what did you do different? Is there anything that you actually did different or like, I think thought, 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 I would say thought differently. I just made it. I just, um, to me, it boiled down to, I, I guess I never had many answers over the course of my life as to why I did something or why I went a certain direction or, or this, that, or the other thing. I just knew when something fired me up, I was going to go for it. So when I was training for the Olympics, I trained for two Olympics in sailing. I did 96 and 2000. I made the U S team in 2000 and, um, started a picked up a camera shortly thereafter so it wasn't like so basically it's like you know once you're competing at an olympic level you don't go off into another direction in life and half-ass it you know so i just used the concepts that i that i had done i was like i know what it's like to be at the top 
fortunately enough for me, I had a head start with the photography thing because I was a model and I was working with a lot of the top photographers in the world. I got to shoot with so many of them and uh, I I'm kicking myself now because I paid no attention to the photography. I was just worried about getting paid and eating the craft services and being, having my picture in a magazine all over the world. I didn't care about the photography. And then I picked up a camera and I became the most annoying model on set. So I, I think what that gave me, cause people ask a lot, it gave me an awareness. So, and then the drive to succeed, I was like at, you know, I was living in New York, uh, had met this girl who we were dating and I was, you know, doing the whole, I had, I had just gotten back from the Olympic campaign and I was like, I want to start my life with this woman. And I'm like broke. And I, w- I was living in my brother's apartment who let me stay in this bedroom. I said, Hey, can I move my girlfriend in with me? He's like, yeah. And he's like, you can, uh, can you just cover the utilities, like the cable bill and the electricity or something? And I was like, sure, I'll do that. And I couldn't even, I, I wasn't making any money. So I couldn't, I remember being like, I can't even pay that. And I, pay, and I started this photography thing and I was like, well, I'm driven. So I, I mean, it just lit a fire under my ass cause I wanted it so bad cause I didn't want to live in my brother's, you know, third extra bedroom and not be able to pay utilities. And then six months went by of this where I couldn't rub two nickels together. I wasn't making ends meet or anything. Luckily my girlfriend, who's my wife now was really talented and she was modeling and acting. So she had commercials running and stuff like that. So we were able to get an apartment and she helped me foot the bill while I got this photography thing on the show on the road. But my brother, six months after being in that apartment, I, I'll never forget. He comes up to me, he goes, you're a loser. I was like, what? He goes, you got to get out of here. You can't just keep living in here and just barely making ends meet. You've got to get your own place and I got to kick you out. And I know, I don't know how it, I'm glad he made the decision when he did. Cause I'm sure he would have let me stay there another year. If I hadn't, if he hadn't said that, I guess something in his brain was like, what is my brother doing? I never forget. You're a loser. And I was like, to have your older brother say that to you, I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's not, I gotta go. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I gotta go. And I thank him to this day because he kicked me out. And, uh, I remember years later how proud I was of, uh, opening up a studio that had a room in the back. And I was like, Hey, to my older brother, Hey, um, you want to rent the other, the room in the back of my studio for me? And we'll, you know, be working together and kind of together again on a daily basis. And he's like, yeah, that's worked out perfectly. So he lived a couple blocks one way. I live a couple blocks the other way. And, um, you know, that was like 2008. And in 2000 is when he kicked me out. So um, no, 2001, he kicked me out in January, 2001. I got my first studio apartment and I was just looking for a Southern facing window cause I wanted the light. So seven years later, um, I had become successful enough to, to hang out with him again, <laughs> basically. And you got, so the, a good, uh, you got the good apartment, story. you got the apartment where the Southern facing window, because you started shooting headshots, like sitting your ass on the windowsill and just like shooting people with the daylight. Right. That was it. Yeah. I was just looking for a southern facing window that was as big as I could find, um, and a rather an expensive apartment. I remember it cost me twenty one sixty a month, and it was southern facing on the twenty seventh floor of this building on the West Side Highway, and it was a studio. So people, so I started my business in there. So you know, my my when did we get married? I don't know two thousand. Yeah, I guess we got married in June of two thousand one. So we were in there in January of two thousand one. So uh, you know, people came in and. You know, while it's a studio, I'd be like, I don't know. My wife was just hanging out in there while I was shooting or if she took off or <laughs> I forget. Yeah. And then she got pregnant with twins and I was still in there shooting. And I was like, 
this isn't going to work. We got to move into someplace bigger. We need like, we need, so we moved into a two bedroom and I'm serious. Like the, the kids were in a room that was like five feet away from the, it was like the room next to the living room. And I was shooting in the living room with the Southern facing window there in the same building. And I never had any client. One client was a total bitch and complained about the kids screaming in the other room. But I, I never, I built my business that way. So I always, um, you know, it's always interesting talking to photographers that are starting today with their businesses and like what they're going through. And like, they're like, well, I can't really shoot because I don't have a studio. I'm like, what are you talking about? I shot out of a studio apartment, like a, in a apartment building, you know, I was like, I had twins that were in this little tiny apartment bedroom when I was, you know, creating my, my business. Um, I'll tell you what, these days in this day and age, I got very lucky with my first studio. I got offered my first studio, uh, and it was in a little, little office off of a bigger studio. And, um, that was the start of me having a studio and that kind of escalated into where I am today. Yeah. Um, and that's also you know. the same studio where you, uh, like found the Kino flows that you like quote unquote yeah. borrowed for a weekend and start shooting, uh, actual lights. And uh, you pretty much like stumbled on those because like a lot of people in this day and age are like, so like gear focused, like I want to start headshots or like, I want to start in photography. And the first question is like, what kind of gear should I get? And like, you started with like pretty much like whatever nature gives you. And then you developed it pretty much like by chance because these lights were there and you started using them and that's how yeah. you developed I, your kit, I guess. Cause that's that was like, the start of it. Yeah, exactly. Cause that Kino flow uh, story, like, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but it's like, That's like, what, 20 years ago? It was 2004. So okay. 2002, so 2001, I moved in the studio apartment. I started shooting, um, started a headshot business February 2002. Started shooting all the actors in the window. February 2003, I moved into the two bedroom because that one's when my kids were born. And then February 2004, I moved into the first studio without windows and I was a natural light shooter so imagine that and I took it I was like I'm taking that room give me that room I did have strokes but I didn't know how to use them very well um and one day Perry Ogden this photographer from the UK was over renting the studio next that was outside my door in the I that my room was in within this huge studio and and photographer used to rent it and it was always interesting to see what they were doing and the people that were coming in and the shoots that were going on it was really cool and he was shooting kino flows and I was the natural light shooter so for me it made more sense to have continuous light on my subject than anything else and he left them on a Friday they were done with the shoot and they were sitting there on the floor and I asked the studio manager what's going on with those and they said uh, the rental house is coming to pick them up on Monday I was like Monday so <laughs> I came in over the weekend I set them up I shot and I was like that's it and I went to B&H and I bought a full Kino Flow set that Monday and uh, I never looked back I switched from Kino Flows to LEDs in I started well you were there what was it 2013 2014 I started developing my own Yeah, for Hurley Pro, the Medusa kit. I think it was 2014 at WPPI we launched that, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think, and then I think the Westcots were 2015, 16. That I was got, 2015. Yeah, I got mine uh, April 2016 when we got off the Headshot Cruise vessel. That's when I gotcha. brought. The, that's when I brought them home. When you brought it back, yeah, yeah. So what he's talking about, guys, is that I I tried to develop it my own line of LEDs, which I found, which I did with my brother, you know, he put the money into it and he's the finance guy. And we were, 
it was like a sinking ship and I'm like, what are we doing? Why are we spending all this money? I'm not, a, I, I don't know, I'm not in the business of, you know, making lights for photographers. I mean, it was just a lot of money and didn't have much upside and, and we didn't have the infrastructure to do it. So I pulled the plug on it. Luckily, I, I would have pulled it six months before he let me, but he, he wouldn't let me. And finally we pulled the plug on it, took a big loss, but the good news is, is that we made some really cool lights that people like, and it caught the interest of the president of Westcott at the time. And she met with me and she said, um, they were, they were starting to use influencers to make products. And they, she said, we want to make it. We want to make, we like you. We like your idea. What do you want to make? And I was like, well, I want to kind of make the lights that I was making or something that I could use. I wanted to solve my problem, my a solution for my headshot problem, which was Kino flows were fragile and too big to travel with. So I wanted something that I could travel anywhere with and that I didn't have to worry about if they were going to break. And LEDs just did that. So they came out with this flex panel. We we designed the uh, first flex kit. Uh, the Peter Hurley flex kit went on sale and it went nuts. And now we have a pro cine kit that's out. Uh, we have a daylight cine kit and a, and a bicolor cine kit as well as the pro DMX cine kit. So there's three of them now. Uh, with my name on these kits and um, they're just phenomenal and it, and it solved a big issue for me. I still have my Kinoflows but they're in the closet. I'm taking them out and I don't want to get rid of I don't know what to do with them because I don't want to get rid of them. They're the original but yeah. I just don't fire them up anymore. <laughs> You're just collecting dust for mm-hmm. like uh, uh, old, old time's sake pretty much. Like yeah. they mean something so you don't want to get rid of them but like yeah, Same as that, like, what is that, like, big freaking light in the studio, that square thingy, the... Oh, yeah, that thing's out in the hall, too. I don't know what to do with that, the Vistabeam 600. Yeah, that one. Like, that's been around for years, and I don't yeah, think... Yeah, that we, doesn't... I think we fired it up once to use it as, as a photo booth light during one of the uh, PPE uh, headshot crew parties or whatever. Yeah, so I, heavy. Yeah. So heavy, and it's fragile, and tough to... To use it's just amazing where lighting's come and i'm just so glad to hook up with westcott and do that with them because you know it gave me now i now i can if i come up with an idea i have an i have a way a solution i have a way i can make it so it's kind of exciting so what you're saying like uh, you, like you have the gear development right now that like um developed over time and like i guess you are always like the kind of guy that like solves problems. So even with the headshots, like you were like shooting all your friends because they needed headshots. Like they had a problem, you had the solution because you know how to handle the camera and like develop the film uh, and all of that back in the day. And like, how do you see it in this current uh, like market with like the changing times? Because I don't, I think like you are shooting more corporate than models at this point. Like, how did you, yeah. how did you get that switch? Because like, I I'm think a- it just evolved. I don't know. I, I really, you know, I've been fortunate where, uh, and this is kind of an issue with, uh, not an issue, but on the headshot crew, you know, getting your, I can get the photographers to shoot well. I can get the portfolio sorted out. I can do all that marketing and selling yourself. You got to do that. Like you got to know how to do that. Like I don't market the way other photographers do because mine was all done in 2001, 2002, 2002, 2003, 2004. And that created the base that I have now. And it still works. People still walk in my door for headshots. Um, so, you know, I, I think it all stems from the work. Like if the work's good and you can get yourself out there a little bit, you're going to be fine. Um, and I, and I think a lot of photographers have issues with where they are, 
the locale or the, the little tiny town they're in that they like, no, there's not enough people in this town. I was talking to a photographer earlier today on the phone for like an hour because he's competing with a photographer in the same town. I was like, why do you think like that? Like I was competing in New York. What the hell are you worried about? Like I was in New York. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I rose to the top here. Like, what the heck are you talking about? And now with everything that's going on, I don't, I think talent just is, is the killer. You know, if you're talented, you can go anywhere. You can go anywhere. Um, and I think that there's always a market for people that want the best of something, no matter what is going on. Like the lower levels of the headshot industry, people are walking into these photo booths and taking pictures and being using those for whatever they're doing, right? And all the photographers are up in arms that would compete with that. Um, and I find it funny because I would never compete with that. Well, one of my clientele is not going to be happy with going into a photo booth and shooting that when they could come to me, you know, and happily pay my fee and happily work with me and say they worked with the best. Like that's, there's a value to that. Yeah. Um, and there's people who operate like that. You know, there's people that go down to Canal Street and get the fake Gucci bag. And then there's people who walk right into Gucci and fired right up, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's always going to be out there. So it's a totally mentality and, and uh, talent based for me. And we don't know where the world's going right now with the pandemic still in full bloom. Uh, so you know, we just don't know. So I think that if you really look at skill set and talent, it's always going to, now we're going to have to pivot and make changes and uh, the way we operate and, and such. But, uh, but I think the market's always going to be there for people that are talented period. Yeah. Like I remember conversations we had uh, back in the day, because I'm like in a city of 150,000, like you've been here, like it's not New York or London or Paris or whatever major city. And I have headshot photographers like 30 miles out uh, in Amsterdam. There's a guy like, and I'm like an hour and change out of Amsterdam and people are still traveling to me. And it's like, I guess it's because I was one of the early ones and developed the market because my competition was like first person shooter video games. So because that shit is called headshots too. And, but like, I guess it's the, I guess it is talent and portfolio and like there's sometimes people um, like uh, approach me and say like yeah I saw a shot on the internet and like I want that kind of vibe and I usually just go no like you either like dig into my style or the look or not and the penny pushers and all of those people like I'm not just, I'm not shooting it. And like, I had to like learn and grow that confidence to tell people no, because it's easy to just go like, yeah, I'll shoot it. Like I'll take your hundred bucks. And like, it's a hundred bucks more than I had a minute ago. But I also think that very devaluates the brand that you're building. Cause then you're going to be one of these like button pusher kind of people. Yeah. So yeah, I think you, you need to have, I mean, it goes back to when I started, I was like, there wasn't anything that was going to stop me. Like you can't be stopped by that. You can't be stopped by a pandemic. If your dreams are to be really good at what you do, like it just doesn't, not going to be the thing that can stop you. There's nothing that can stop you. If that's the case, then you're, you know, you're going to get it done. It's, it's, and it's based on persistence. You know, yeah, nobody was going to stop me. I was going to stop. Yeah. Is that the mentality that you grew while being in sports? Because that's very like, like I grew up in sports as well, but not Olympic level, but like pro team. But like, it's always like eye on the ball, focus, like go time and not give a shit about anything else. It's just like eye on the prize. And is that something that you 
like took into your career at this point? Is that like something that you developed as sort of a character trait? I think a lot of people get a lot out of sports. I mean, you competed in soccer at super high level, you know, it's like, you know, you know, to compete at that high level, you have to produce and there's a mentality. At it. I mean, if you, if, I mean, you know, what do they say? Hindsight's twenty twenty or whatever, but, yeah. but I look back at my Olympic career and I knew going into all these events that I was already beaten, you know, it, it, with my mentality. And I knew when I wasn't, and I knew when I was peaking and when I hadn't peaked and when, you know, I, I wish that I had a different mentality for something, but I was aware of the mentality. For instance, I was winning the Olympic trials after the first day um, in San Francisco in 2000, and you had to win to go to the Olympics. I finished four, fourth overall. Um, and I ended up, uh, I ended up, what happened? So I, I ended up the next day. So I got, I got off the water and the guy who was supposed to win, there was like a pecking order. Like you knew the guy that was doing the best. Yeah. And the guy who was supposed to win was like, if you keep sounding like that, nobody's going to beat you, you know? And immediately that was like, I, I already had given him the win. I was like, I was thinking like, who's going to be the best to represent the United States, not what's the best for me. And the solution was that guy didn't even win. Another guy won. And then he went to the Olympics and got his ass kicked. So I'm like, I could have gone and done better than that guy did at the Olympics potentially. And I might've done worse. Who knows? He was a really good sailor and he deserved to go. But, um, my mentality had already taken me out of the game. So I just wasn't gonna, you know, do that. My mentality also got me to the top of the game. So, you know, I was ranked 17th in the world at my highest ranking. And, um, it would have been easily been hired looking back if I had just done certain things. You know, we, we, we deal with the present, like the looking back in the past is easy to say what you could fix. Right. But what you can do is learn from the past and then put it into your present mentality. And it's easier said than done, but you can do it. And, um, I think right now is a tough climate for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people don't know where their next paycheck's coming from. Yeah. You know, having trouble putting food on the table. Families are coming together to support each other. Like people across. And the the thing is, it's global, which is really interesting. So it's not just country based. You don't see one country like going into a recession or having a heck of a time with their economy because the rest of the world's flourishing. It's like the whole world is under this spell. So it's going to be interesting. Like not, I mean, we haven't seen this in, in history. I guess we, they didn't have the infrastructure in place for us to know what was going on during the Spanish flu. But, um, it's just interesting. So basically what you got to do is you've got to figure out what you want and then just work your ass off and be really talented at it and then go get it. Um, and I think things will fall into place as we go, but having, uh, structures in place that, you know, work like, you know, what would you do if you knew, you know, if you were going to give, you're interviewing me, but if you were going to give somebody your five tips, top tips on how to promote their brand, you know, what would they be? And, and the answer, you can give the answer in a minute, but the answer would be exactly what anybody listening to this, you know, podcast should be doing, obviously, because if you think that they're valuable, they're probably valuable. And if they're, you know, there's, there's probably, you know, a hundred things that we could do or a thousand, we don't know. But anyway, you just start with what you know you can do. So Maurice, out of curiosity, what are your five top branding tips? 
like I, I always and always have like I have the background in marketing in the corporate world and it's all like there's a lot of fluff these days with like all these like the LinkedIn's the Facebook's like all these like tactics and like God knows what and I had that working in corporate world and running my photography business like there's like so many opportunities and I always like got back to like pretty much the core of things. Like I have a bakery on the corner of my street that's in business since 1870 something. They have the sign above the door and these people are one of the most successful bakers in the city. Like they like they have the people like out the door waiting. Like there's like 20 people waiting just to get like a loaf of bread of bread. So, and what these people do is like they built a community. So they're centered within a community. And that's what I did starting early on. Like I built my community of the people that I want to work with. So like I started my headshot business, like there was no headshot business market, like anything in this country. So what I did is like, I approached like all the C-level execs that I worked with and told them like, okay, I'm starting this new business. Uh, I'm going to, I guess, send a message to 25 of them. I'm going to, I shoot you for free, but all I need is you to send me three to five of your peers that are going to book a session with me potentially. And that's how I like created the community. So that's one. Uh, Two is like always, like I always talk about my personality, the way I am, like my content and all of that stuff is very personal and very like just me. So you either like it or you hate it. Like, and if you hate it, I'm not going to be the person that going to shoot you which is fine because we're going to have a problem in the studio at some point because we don't like sync and i use that as a selector and the people that really like what i'm saying they just like oh my gosh like dude i love it i'll pay i'll like get you a check right now like so it's like it's a lot of that like just like being in front of it like building an audience and building a community and doing all of that and with this pandemic when most people are not shooting uh, it's like the perfect time because now we have all these platforms we don't have to go into like a networking event in a bar or in like a conference center or whatever like we have all these platforms so building those connections and building that network right now is like the easiest thing to do because everybody's stuck at their computer so that would be like the most important thing for me to do right now and that's what i'm doing right now because i'm just like i I am shooting like we're not in lockdown anymore i was shut down for 12 weeks i had to cancel 30 jobs i lost like i don't know 25 30 grand in job and i had all these people pretty much come back and then some because of all the uh the the relationships that i built in the process i think that's like yeah i think that's part of it too for me with the referrals like you you have these this lieu of people that work with you in the past that you've given good service to. So when it comes back, you know, that'll be great. What about for the new people though, that don't have that? Like the social stuff is uh, important. Like everybody is on a platform that has a number of people that follow them, right? Like you're not going to be on Facebook with just like you and your mom or your brother or whoever, like there's always people. So just like start sharing and talking and, giving people valuable information and tips and not like, yeah, sh- you shouldn't wear this in a headshot session. Like just like talk, like build relationship and build rapport. And like I shot a, a, a corp gig because I was at an American football game in this country, which like American football is like nothing. Like nobody gives a shit. But I was at a game and like uh, I, I shared a picture on Instagram, LinkedIn, like all of that 
stuff and share the story how I watch all that stuff all the time and yada 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 and like the guy saw it he's like yeah I'm at that I was at that same game I we actually need shots for the business like it doesn't have to be super like it's not rocket science it's just a matter of like sharing who you are like you do this with your Instagram stories and like all of the content you, you put out that's very personal at this point like you get feedback off that maybe not clients because like maybe you maybe you have like but like you you and I have like sort of a like mixed market with photographers and clients. So like we target to a little bit to both. But I think like sharing uh, what you care about is the most important because that gives people the opportunity to get to know you and like you or hate you, but at least you are relatable in some respect. And that's why people come to me and not to the next guy because they like the voice. They like the narrative, what I'm saying. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And I think that's like, it, that's important even if you're starting out. Like, get a portfolio. And if you don't have people to shoot, just like get your feet wet and get it going and get like the ball rolling and turn it into a snowball. Cause that's what I did. Like, I remember you saying me to telling me, like, I don't know, what is it, like seven years ago? Like, get people off the street and shoot them. Just like get going. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't care who it is. Like, yeah. you. You should be able to get a good picture of anybody. Everybody's walking around with a face on. You can get their face in front of your camera. Yeah. I have people in the Plenty studio sometimes like saying like, yeah, I don't know how I look. It's like, yo, you walked across the street, like looking like this. So why would you look any different while you were in here? <laughs> you had the confidence to go outside your own house looking like this. So why are you freaking out right now? <laughs> but it, yeah. It is what it is. Like people should actually just like shoot and create what they want to create. And I do believe that a lot like the work you put out is the work that you're getting. And that's why I niched because I don't want to shoot weddings and I don't know, family portraits and all that stuff. That's not my forte. And like I figured the importance of niching. But how did you do? How do you work with that? Because you like you shoot headshots, but do you shoot other things or did you niche and always stuck to it? Or what is your thought on this? I shoot whatever comes my way. I'll shoot whatever. If they put it, if I, I mean, I used to think if, if I could put it in front of my camera and get paid, I'd do it. So I used to do, I start my first commercial job was shooting um, still life stuff. I shot sneakers for Reebok, actually. It was my first commercial paycheck. And then um, shot weddings, uh, a few here and there. I mean, I haven't done that. I don't know. I stopped doing that way early on. But um, portraits, of course. I don't get much stuff for families and stuff like that. But if a family is aware of me and they want to come in the session and do something, I'll, I'll do it, you know. Um, but, yeah, I do I do whatever comes my way. I mean, whatever pays the bills. Do you treat them as your portrait sessions or as a headshot session? Or how do you go about when people approach you for, like, a family portrait or a, a, a product? shoot how do you yeah i mean they just they come in and you know usually a family portrait session would fall under my portrait category so the pricing would be around that and then i just make it up as i go usually shoot individuals of everybody and then them as groups and stuff like that i just like doing that i like coaching first if i get a um a job shooting um, you know, I was shooting for companies like their products, you know, it would depend on their budget and the, and the number of things I had to shoot. And sometimes it would just be on a day rate. How much can we shoot in a day? Here's the rate that I'm going to charge you. And, and that would be it. So, yeah, I think product photography could be a big thing now because, you know, people, more people are putting stuff online and there's more sales online. So everything needs to be shot. So that's something photographers could look into. Yeah. And like, do you always 
um, like, do you take their budget into account or is it just like, uh, this is what I want to make in a day. So this is going to be the number. Yeah. Sometimes it's that like now, you know, that's something that you can leverage off of. If you know your rates and you know what you can make just sitting in your studio. And if you're busy, um, you could tell people like, Hey, this is what I charge. So if you want that, I'm going to charge around this because that's the same amount that I would make if I was shooting this other thing. And that really worked well for me. Um, obviously right now it's slow for everybody. So people are probably, uh, I, I don't think people mind paying my rates though. The clients I am getting are happy to do it. I think they know everything's kind of in a, in a downturn and they're like, you know, I want the best. I'm going to go to you and I'm going to pay you whatever you, whatever you rate it. So I stuck with my rates and just kept them where they are. And, and, uh, I think it's going to work out just fine. But yeah, I get, I negotiate a little bit depending upon the job. If the scope of the job is big, I just bid out a huge job for a, shooting something that I don't shoot at all uh, for shooting architecture. I'm I'm not an architectural shooter, but I got the job um, through a referral and I, and I put in a proposal for it. I don't know if I'll get it, but, uh, but it's out there. Okay. That's cool. And I I went in really high on it. So, so there's um, something new on the list at some point shooting buildings. Well, I've done architecture jobs before, but not, you know, it's not my forte. I've done some pretty interesting stuff over the course of my career, but this is definitely not my forte. The first thing I did was call Mike Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He has tutorials about it. <laughs> yeah. He knows what he's doing. I figure I get hit, pick his brain a little bit. Yeah. So when we go back to personal branding and headshots and stuff, like let's uh, uh, like, what if I was like next door and uh, we're both doing headshots. Why would people come to you? Like, how do you position yourself differently beyond like being the best in the city? Like, what is it the experience or like, what is it? Well, I mean, basically I've been told that people are going to want what they call, call Hurley. <laughs> you know, I think it's a big deal to get in front of my camera. Like for me to capture somebody and them, them to have, I, I remember working with that mouth of yours and trying to figure it out. And we got an awesome shot of you. Remember? Uh, yeah. And I was the most horrible nice. person to shoot the first time you shot me in 2014, I think at Frank Dorov studio. Yeah, but we, we got a great shot. Yeah. Um, so I, I, have a skill set that most people don't have because even if you are a headshot photographer, there's so many more things to it. There's so many more colors and there's so many more levels. It's like different frequencies that people are on. For me, I'm seeing what's happened is over the course of my career, my attention to details gone through the roof. So somebody gets in front of my camera and it's instantly these little ticks going off on, okay, I got that. Uh, I see this, uh, this person's reacting like that. So I'm doing facial um, recognition stuff on what recognizing what their face is capable of doing before they get in front of my camera. So I guide them towards that. Um, I don't think it's a standard practice amongst headshot photographers. So my awareness of people's energy and what's going on intuitively is on fire during the session. So I can't really sell that. If I tell somebody, Hey, you're going to get in front of my camera. My intuition, my intuition is on fire. I'm going to be reading you like a book and it's going to turn into the best pictures of your life. You know, yeah. you I'll wrap really, a couple of stones yeah. and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. It's not going to yeah. fly. <laughs> can't really say that, but that's what goes on. That's what really goes on. So, um, when I, I think everybody should have something where that's, steps them up a notch. And I think the thing that's untouchable for me is, is the personality, my personality, what I bring to the table with my personality and what I'm seeing in the camera. Cause I coach, I coach thousands of photographers all over the world on the head crew. You know this. Yeah. And they don't see what I see. Like I sit there and do critiques and they don't see people. I always tell people, look, I want you 
when I bring a picture up on the screen, uh, we do them on Zoom calls. I want you to go through your brain and figure out what I'm going to say before I say it. Go. And I guarantee you, they probably got the first five things I'm going to say. The sixth, seventh, and eighth, they were like, oh my gosh, I didn't even see that. Yeah. And, um, and I see everything just because I've done it for so long in my, you know, the way, just the way I operate. Um, I'm very, uh, I think your personality and the, what you have built in, you bring to the table too. I don't think the guy across the hall is going to have the work ethic that I have either. You know, I, I don't think when you train for the Olympics and you know what you, I mean, you just, I guess I keep going back to that, but that's the only thing. If when you, if you look at all the guys that I sailed with, all the guys that were successful when, when the sailing ended and they went off into their lives, all the people that trained at that level were successful people in, in other areas of their lives. Yeah. Because of the work ethic and, and what you go through and how to be the best. You, you're, you're striving to be the best. So for me, unless the guy down the hall trained for the Olympics um, <laughs> Which or competed at that level or been, or, or I want everybody listening to be, what's the thing you've been most successful in your life? If you've gone through a transition between, between starting something new and being a really phenomenal success at it, then you can just apply that to something else. And maybe that person across the hall also has something in their life that they were really successful at and they apply those concepts to what they're doing. And maybe they could catch up to where I am a little bit, but they're never going to deliver a product that this, that's the same as mine because they're not me. Yeah. So, and that, that client, the ones that I wanted, the ones that, that feel that, see that in my work and want to be here and want to pay my rate. So I don't care about the clientele. There could be, a thousand people in New York city in one day looking for a headshot photographer. And probably if you take away just price into it, that thousand, there's probably 50 that would be willing to pay my price. And out of those 50, maybe there's five that really would benefit and be like my clients. So out of a thousand people, I'm looking for five, you know, something yeah. like that. Maybe, yeah. it's, maybe it's 10, maybe it's 20, but that's really it. So I don't worry about the, fluff and I don't worry about the guy across the hall and I don't worry about any of that. I worry about doing the best I can with what I've got in front of me, which is my camera, my brain and my work ethic. And the way that these thousand people look at you, like the five people or the two or the 10 or the 20, like how do they see you when they never worked with you? How do you um, uh, leverage or create or control the narrative that people see? Uh, what they see on me, I mean, basically, I just, I don't know, I'm not that concerned. I mean, I guess I am concerned about what they see on me, of, of me. I'm, I'm once I get the book, I'm more concerned of what I see on them, like of them. Like I'm Googling names, I'm looking for their pictures online. I just had a guy that came in and he just had nothing online and he's a huge LinkedIn guy and he's got this huge court case going on and he didn't have a headshot on himself. So I was like, I gotta get this guy in here. So I got him in here and I shot him, but um, he, uh, you know, stuff like that. So I don't know that he did any research on me. I just, I always been interested in speaking. I love public speaking. I love being on stage. I got, you know, I've spoken all over the freaking world. It's been amazing. I just, I just, it's just something that excites me. Uh, so I'm always working on that. So I know, and everybody was like, you should get a speaker agent. So I was like, oh, I need a speaker agent. How do I get one? I don't know how to get one. Anyway, um, my, I should ask these, ask these guys, but my, one of my clients started working with me and we're going to do this. It comes back to the intuitive factor in me and how I work intuitively with my clients and stuff. But, um, Anyway, we're working on a program together and she used to be in the secret service. So it's kind of cool. The combination of me 
the way I read people and she did polygraph the way she read people and we're talking about people and their brand. So it's going to be a, an interesting, uh, interesting thing, but we're doing talks on it and we're talking to companies. So she said, I have this agent. We want to meet with them. So I was like, wow, I always wanted a speaker agent. She's got one. All right, let's meet with them. And they were happy to meet with us. And, um, I think the thing that I have, I don't know this, but I'm gathering if they're going to take on a new client, they're going to Google them. They're going to dig around. They're going to find out what that person has online, what their reputation's like, what their social media presence is like, all that stuff, you know, what kind of bio they have, like, like everything. So they probably knew everything. So they just said when, then they met, met me over the, over a zoom call, tell us about yourself. But I, I gather that if they were considering taking on a client, you know, it's like me, I'm doing a photography agency now and I'm vetting photographers for it. So, which is interesting because it's got to be, there's more to it than just the shooting. It's also the personality. Is the person going to be late? Are they going to show up to the job? Are they responsible? Are they pain in the ass? Do they ask me a gazillion questions? Do they take my direction and actually apply it? These types of things. Yeah. So anyway, I gather they Googled me. If you Google me, it's crazy. Like a lot of stuff comes up. I'm like, wow. I'm like, I don't do it often, but I'll do it. So, you know, if you Google yourself and there's nothing out there, you need to start to create this buzz about the you that you're selling. You're selling yourself no matter what you're doing, basically. Um, And I think that they, the, the speaker, just to finish this up, I think they must've Googled me and already seen everything that I told them. And then I just, and then I felt like I was just talking about myself, which was a little weird. Long story short, they took me on and I booked my first job through them. So, um, congratulations. You know, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. It's really cool. Like, yeah, I wanted to do that. One of, one of the quick tips if you go on Google and you Google Google Alerts, you get onto like a tool that Google has, which is called Google Alerts. And you can, like, I have like alerts for like Maurice Space Yager and like, personal branding for photography, like all the stuff that I do. And every morning I get an email of all the new index stuff that has these keywords. So when somebody writes a blog about me or somebody writes like whatever about me, I get that in the mail every morning. So I know who's talking about me. Yeah, I have the same thing and I'm really competitive. So there's a dude named Peter Hurley in Australia who's like the president of some hotel chain. And I got to beat that guy every morning. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that kind of sucks. <laughs> I have, like, there's only one of me. that. I, oh, oh, actually, yeah. there's two. Yeah. Uh, one of them is a 17-year-old kid that I don't know. He's not related. He freaking yeah. stole my uh, uh, my handles on Instagram. So I had to do, like, the the uh, like the underscores and, like, all of that crap. Because he, oh. he already owned it. But, like, eh. But he doesn't do as much stuff as I do. So, like, he's never in that. So, I don't have no yeah, idea. Yeah, I had that issue, too. I had a little bit of this, that issue. Actually, my, my unfortunately, you know, I have these teenage daughters, and they Google themselves, and one of my daughter's names is a porn star, which is not good. <laughs> oh, no, that's not fun. Wow. That's not good. <laughs> no, that's, that's not good. That's not good. No. Not good. No. Not good. No. Uh, no. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> that's going to get away. Like, hopefully, one, uh, one of your girls is going to be more successful and blow her out of the water. No pun intended. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you mentioned, like, you're working your system. I know you have the book, The Headshot, which has the Hurley headshot system. Is that what you're yeah. still running, like, every time you shoot? Yeah. I mean, that's part of it, yeah. 
Yeah, I just launched Headshot Banter too. Is the which is the book on? It's an audio series based on the book. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I'll I'll link all of that in the show notes uh, uh, with this podcast, so uh, people don't cool. have to Google it. It's just gonna be right in there, so it's uh, it's easy to find for folks uh, that want to check all that stuff out. Um, you work with a lot of people, um, like you have a makeup person, you have like more people on set. When sometimes when you shoot, like how do you get these? Like, what do you look for when you're looking for people? Like, do you look how they position themselves and how they talk about themselves? Or are you just focused on the work? I think the most, I mean, I have this word, I call it hangability. <laughs> I mean, if you, if somebody can hang with me, that's cool. Um, and that's almost secondary to the work. I mean, the work's important, but if they can't hang, like, it's like, I don't want to be around people you know, 24 seven, if I don't, you know, they just don't make you feel comfortable. Like Brittany's like, I don't know what I do without her. My, my, she runs my, she's my studio manager. She's my second shooter. She's my retoucher. She's my assistant. She's, you know, she's just the best. Yeah. And, um, Brittany's awesome. You know, it's, yeah, it's like just being able to, and she compliments me so much because her demeanor is so mellow and I'm so riled up. So it's like perfect. It wouldn't work any other way. If we were both riled up, it would be crazy in this place. Yeah, she can handle your thunder very well. Yeah, yeah, she's the best. <laughs> and then I've got my makeup artist who's like, is more volatile than me. So it's like crazy. It's crazy. But that's based on talent. And then also, you know, the ability for us to work together. Like we don't really need to talk very much on, on a shoot. We know kind of what's going on after working together for so many years. That's really important. You just got to want to get a team together that, that you work well with. And that, and then hopefully it's not dysfunctional. I have some dysfunction in my studio with my uh, makeup artist that makes things difficult, but that's between us. And we, we, put up with it because of the talent and the and the ability to get the work done so yeah it's been challenging yeah and you're prone to lighthouse so there's that so then there's that yeah yeah there's that for <laughs> those who don't know who that is uh what that is when i was working with i was, did a tedx talk with a psychologist named dr anna roley and she's like working with you is like it's like you're a lighthouse like when the beam's on me i got your brain and then you're fine but then you're head goes somewhere and I got to wait for the beam to come around again. And I was like, exactly. That was so exactly. funny. Cause like you mentioned that at some point I was like, I totally recognized it. It's like, she was on the money with that one. So yeah. yeah. So you're like very successful in what you're doing, obviously. But what is something that you're still struggling with? Like, what are you trying to figure out? Um, what am I still struggling with? Keeping it all going, like setting goals that fire you up to go beyond one. It's easy to get, stuck in a comfort zone. I think what happens is when you have a taste of success and you're successful, keeping that success going, it get, everything gets to a point unless you have new ideas and new things going on constantly that it stops. So what happens is you get you get okay with where you're at and then something like a pandemic comes along and you start going backwards and then the freak out starts. So I think for me, it's really about, you know, I just turned 50. I picked up a camera when I was 30 and that was 20 years of my life. It was like this window. And then the next 20 years are like, holy smokes, I'm getting up there. Um, I want to be productive from 50 to 70, right? So as productive as I was from 30 to 50. So it's like, where am I going? What am I doing? And what's the, what's the major move that's going to keep me happy and, and keep me going? Um, it's just routine is not good for me. Like I'm not, I'm, some people are just very happy being in a routine and doing the same thing every day. And I'm not that guy. So, um, 
that's something that has, you know, been a uh, interesting. Yeah, and you just you just mentioned goals. So, what are your goals? Yeah. Uh, my goals are. I mean, I have a bunch of them, and most of them are based on um, building out the business models that I have now, and then adding to the new ones. But then it comes into a, a monetary goal. So basically, my goal, which I work a lot with Bob Proctor, so. Uh, he's a motivational guy and, and personal development coach that I've been working with since 1998. So a lot of my stuff I put on his show, like I'm like are attributed to his ideas. So one of his things is, okay, if you're making in, if it takes you 12 months to make a certain income, why does it take you 12 months and what is that income? And then, um, why can't you do that in one month? So my goal is to turn my annual income into my monthly income. So that's what, and it's been that in the past and I've done it. So I was like, well, if I did it in the past, why can't I do it again? It's just on a bigger scale, you know? Yeah. I mean, my, my, uh, so my, my yearly income was not 50,000 when I was a model actor bartender dude. I don't think I ever made 50,000. So back then, Bob had me go, okay, so 50,000, what about if you went 50,000 a month? And back then when I was making $50,000 a year, I was like 50,000 a month. Are you kidding me? And then, uh, and then I did it. So, and then I was like, how do I do that? And then I was like, well, let's double it. And then I did that. And then, and now I'm like, okay, well now with the, obviously 2020 is going to be messed up for everybody's numbers. I feel bad for, I don't feel so bad for my, myself with my numbers being messed up, but those people that are like in major growth mode, like when I was in growth mode, like 2002, 2003, 2004, when it went from 50 to a hundred, a hundred to 200, 200 to 400, 400 to, you know, 600 or 800 or whatever. Um, when you're in those modes, you not like momentum keeps you going and we don't have that momentum anymore. Yeah. So those people that got stuck are like, oh my gosh. It's like my kids are in high school. Like my high school years were so huge. Like, could you imagine missing a year of high Like, I don't know. We have a meeting at five with the school. I don't know if they're going back to school in September. Yeah. Can you imagine not being around your friends for three, four months of high school? Like that's such, such a huge thing. Yeah. So there's a lot going on now that we, we really don't know. So I think goals are important. I think getting out of comfort zone, I don't think we have a choice to get out of, I think everybody's out of their comfort zones now. So it's an interesting time and there's going to be a lot of growth from a lot of people and a lot of opportunity. And there's going to be those people who close their photography business because they can't get a job and they no longer are going to be a photographer, unfortunately. And the ones that make it and the ones that don't are all going to be based on the work ethic, persistence and belief. Like if they believe, if you believe it and you do whatever it takes to get it done, you'll get it done. And if you don't, you're not going to get it done and you're going to go be a, um, you know, whatever you're going to be, you're going to be a, whatever job is out there that you're probably not going to be jumping up and down about. You got to, you know, hopefully you don't do that. Hopefully you do something that inspires you. Yeah. So on that nutshell, what does it, what, when are you successful in this day and age? Like what needs to happen that sparks something inside you that you go like, Oh my gosh, I just like. I did this. This is like super crazy. Awesome. I'll take the family out to dinner. Like I did something awesome. What would that be? Um, I, for me, I, I, most of my successes are like when I make a plan and pull it off is kind of what my thing has always been. All right. If I made a plan, I pulled it off. I feel successful. Um, so I would reward myself in that department. Um, 
you know me, I'm usually buying sailboats or something when I'm rewarding myself for a new set of sails <laughs> or something or going on a trip or yeah. clothes, clothes are big, you know? And I'm oh, like, yeah. <laughs> I realized in the, in the pandemic, I realized I was like, Oh, I'm wearing the same thing every single day. Nobody's even seeing me. What the hell do I care about clothes anymore? You know, I was like, why did I spend all that money on clothes? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny. That is funny. Like you get a new perspective on uh, who you are maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Success is uh, different for all. Like people starting out just want to like get booked a couple weeks in advance or like just get that next client and get a cool job or shoot a celebrity or all of that stuff. Like is there like you have like your goals like written down because you believe in like writing it down like actually like on paper, right? And you carry yeah, it's funny that to- you're asking me about this. Yeah, it's funny you're asking me about this right now. So I had my goal down, written down with the, the you know, annual income becoming the monthly income. But I found that although I like that goal, I need to be, have it written differently or I need to think about it differently. So, so I kept right now in my pocket. Let me see if it's in there. Yeah, it's in here. I got my goal card and it says, and it's blank. Okay. Um, because I've been waiting to write recently. I mean, I usually carry one around that says something. So what I do is I write down my goals, I put them on cards and then I stick the card in the drawer and then 20 years later, I pull it out and I go, oh my gosh, look at this thing <laughs> or whatever. It's kind of cool. Um, and that's been really interesting. So, um, the one that I said was about the annual to, to monthly thing, which was the, is the one I'm working on. So the one that uh, I'm going to write on that card will probably have something to do with that. But, uh, right now it's just, I'm excited because I'm, I've been, we've been given this time. Uh, and you know, I'm so freaking busy and I don't understand how busy I am. Like I'm like, like today I knew I had you, I had another call at 12, that 12, that call went for over two hours. They were still going by the time I talked to you, I got to jump off this and get on the crew cast right momentarily, which means I gotta, I gotta run soon anyway. Yeah. Um, but the, but the, it's crazy. Like how busy I am with everything going on. I'm still shooting a little here and there, which is great. And, um, making it happen trying to keep their head above water and stay positive yeah do you also have goals like i definitely want to shoot this person at this point in my career like do you have somebody on your list that you want to go like dude i want to shoot this person like if i can get him in front of my lights or her then that will be so freaking awesome i used to be like that and i still feel a little bit of that um but i got i just not as i guess it's all based on what you're thinking is at the at the moment you know mm-hmm. uh when i like when i was when i first picked up a camera i was like i don't know why i was yeah actors and musicians right i like actors and musicians i like yeah. i want to shoot actors and musicians um and me growing up in the in high school was in the 80s so the biggest things my favorite bands from the 80s were u2 and and the police so I was always like, I got to shoot Sting and Bono. I just got to shoot those guys. Yeah. And now I'm like, ah, if I shot him, it'd be cool. But I guess it'd be cool. But I don't have to. It's not like a huge deal. And then we went to uh, a Post Malone concert because the kids are into him. And I like Post Malone. I was like, I want to shoot those tattoos. I want to shoot Post Malone. That would be cool. Yeah. So I don't know why musicians and stuff like that. But uh, but then Post Malone's manager started messaging me on Instagram. And I was like... <laughs> this is crazy. I was like, so I told her, I was like, I want to shoot him at some point when this pandemic's over. So I'll probably, I'll probably, I feel like that could happen. I don't know how to get in touch with Stinger or Bono, but yeah. there's gotta, and, and it's also timing related. Like I remember when 
Um, for instance, when Obama got first got the nomination for presidency, I was like, Oh, I want to shoot that guy. You know, I never felt that way about Trump really. I mean, I'm, I was on the apprentice with Trump, but I never felt the way that I did about, Oh, I'm like wanting to shoot Obama. Like I love, um, other people's work too inspires me. And of those people that they've shot, and then I look at them and be like, Oh, I wish I got to shoot that person. Like the Nadav Kander shot of, of president Obama was so cool. I was like, that's a really cool shot. Yeah. I want to shoot something like that. And you know, anyway, the dude is very um, photogenic too. He, yeah. 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 He's good. Yes. He and it's sometimes somebody's just hot in the news right now, or, or maybe it's somebody who I just really love the human face. So, um, and I think the opportunity of shooting celebrities is awesome because they're known and they've been shot by a bunch of people and you get to have recognizable people in your portfolio and it, and it kind of solidifies you as a as an as a being one of the top in your field because that person's in front of your camera, like you like know, you having, shooting Chris Matthews. Yeah, that was cool. I love all that. Yeah. Like I I love all that, but I never like predetermined who it might be or who's coming my way, or who I'm going for. Maybe I should do that more. Maybe that could be my goal coming forward. Yeah. I, I really love the celebrity work. So sometimes celebrities happen. Well, sometimes celebrities happen. You don't even know. Like Ariana Grande was in my studio. I shot her and, and then she became Ariana Grande. She was 12 when I shot her. You know, it's like, that was cool. Yeah. I saw her, you know, before all this success happened. So it's cool to see, you know, she, and, and again, I would, I would go back to belief in yourself. Like she was 12 and she told me, uh, I, she said, you know, I'm going to be a superstar. And I was like, I looked at her and I was like, what? She goes, yeah. And I looked at her mom and her mom goes, she is pretty good. I was like, really? So, and then she becomes this huge thing. So it's belief. It's belief in yourself and what you can do. Like if you think you can do it, you can. And if you think you can't, you can't. That's simple, basic stuff. Cool. Basic. I like that too. Yeah. Um, like uh, end this podcast with. So uh, where do you want people to go when they want to learn more? About I think if they're a photographer, I'd love to have them in my arsenal of photographers, which is the headshot crew. We have 17,000 photographers all over the world. We farm out jobs to photographers for headshot photography uh, through my other company, Headshot Booker. Um, which is a photo agency for headshot photographers. And we also have a locator uh, on headshotcrew.com where people are getting referred jobs. Um, you know, I think all of that is, is big stuff. And that's where my coaching is. So if you want to become a better portrait photographer, definitely check out Headshot Crew. I know it's helped me a ton because I learn, I'm a student of the game and I'm constantly learning. I know Maurice uh, had a huge growth curve through being part of it. And a bunch of people have, and we make money. So if you want to add Headshot Photography to your list of services, I don't think there's a better place to go to figure out how to do that. Yeah, and if you want to learn more about Headshot Booker, then listen to episode 14, which is the previous one, uh, when I talked to Tony Tave, and he talked about Headshot Booker um, extensively, and there's a lot of stuff in there if you want to learn more about Headshot Booker. Um, and I'll link all the socials, the Instagrams, and all of that in the show notes, so um, be sure to... Like, look for that and uh, follow Peter on his social accounts. Uh, thank you so much, Peter, for spending the time with us and um, sharing your insights. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Maurice. Yeah, Peter underscore Hurley is my Instagram if anybody wants to follow there. Yeah, I'll link everything. 
it's going to be fine. Awesome. And that's it for today. But before we part ways, let me invite you to my personal branding for photographers community on Facebook. The group has already around 700 photographers who want to learn everything about improving their personal brand. Make sure to add yourself by going to mauriciejager.com forward slash Facebook or subscribe to my podcast on your preferred platform. Thank you for listening and I'll see you on Facebook or you'll hear from me in the next episode. Enjoy your day. Talk soon. Bye.